You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to Bad Words, an ex-evangelical podcast where we give toxic theology the read that it deserves by taking another look at some of the books that have been given major influence in evangelical Christianity. I am Janice Legata, and this is a meeting of the Bad Book Club. We are reading The Bait of Satan by John Bevere, biting into it one chapter at a time. I'll read the opening paragraph and give a few thoughts, and then join one of the members of the Bad Book Club for a discussion. In the end, I'll read the closing paragraph and give some closing thoughts, all with the intention of leaving you free to think your own thoughts about the chapter, the book, and all things really so. Without further ado, let's get into... Chapter 1. Me? Offended? It is impossible that no offenses should come. Luke 17.1 As I travel across the United States ministering, I have been able to observe one of the enemy's most deadly and deceptive traps. It imprisons countless Christians, severs relationships, and widens the existing breaches between us. It is the trap of offense. Oh boy. Um, I actually don't want to say too much here, because clean slate, there honestly shouldn't be too much to say, right? We're just getting into it. So, I'll just ask you to think about what you would expect from this chapter. John Bevere has laid out his premise. We know right off the top that he is very concerned about the trap of offense. So, what are some reasonable things you think we can reasonably expect from this foundational chapter? Make a little mental note or a notes app note if you want and keep track as I get into it with Bad Book Club member number one, Sheba. How do I do this intro? So I grew up in the church since I was a little girl, um, Indian by ethnicity and um, grew up specifically in like the AG church. And, uh, you know, I always had questions. I was always that kid in youth group being like, but wait, I had this one question and they were like, and they would go say go back to the bible like pray about it or they would give me a, a very limited response that didn't ever answer my questions and of course it just grew from there right and the more that i was exposed um for example like meeting people from other religions meeting people from um even the mormon faith that i told were a cult but as i got to know them had lived exactly parallel experiences even the good parts of experiencing you know god's miraculous power and things of that sort i was like wait a minute this is not how it's supposed to go and so um you know uh being indian too like understanding more about hinduism meeting friends with those experiences as well, I started to realize it was like, there just are a lot of questions that aren't being answered. And going into the biggest question of all for me, which is, how is the Bible made? How how did we get the Bible? Because always the answer was going back to consult the Bible. But nobody, for as many, you know, they went to like the top um, theological schools or seminaries, um, were not really able to get into the depths, had admitted that they didn't really study how all of that came together, which, you know, now at this stage in life is something that I am learning piece by piece. And it's just ushered more questions, but it's also brought me a lot of relief, you know, that we are human. Um, my faith in God is not in any way eliminated. There, there are questions. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hurt to work through. Um, but I just, I guess my involvement is just to hopefully afford the chance to 
the equivalent of who I am and who I was, you know, that other people know that they're not alone. They're not crazy. They're not (laughs) taken over by the evil one to have these doubts and the questions. They're exercising their intelligence and their humanity. And that's a beautiful, good, healthy thing, you know? So yeah, I'm just um, here for finding a community that is willing to delve in and be honest. Well, you have come to the right place. I think so. Although everything you just said would be considered super offensive. Which is wild to me. Yeah, I... I swear most people who know me are like, she's so nice. She's so nice. (laughs) But apparently, yeah, being honest is offensive. And that's a big problem, especially because we are here today to talk about offense. That's right. Yes. And being offended. So this is chapter one of the Bad Book Club as a thing in general and of our first book, which is The Bait of Satan mm-hmm. by John Bevere. So let's talk about your history with this book. When did you first become aware of The Bait of Satan? Um, I was either a teenager or early 20s, um, and our church uh, was really uh, very into the Beveres and also... Um, had chosen this book as um, something to be studied in each of the Bible studies. Bible study, but okay. Um, but yes, <laughs> our simple faith just needs supplemental book as well. Um, so yes, that's that's how I got introduced, and I was reading through it and had a lot of self-loathing. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, wow, I, I'm so evil for being upset. <laughs> The nerve. Only the psalmist is allowed to be upset. Only the psalmist. When we read the Bible and read that, it's calling for, like, his enemies to be killed. He should have read this book. (laughs) So funny. He needed it, yeah. Uh So you did actually read it before. Yes, yes, decades. Yep. Ago, yeah. Because as I'm reading through it, I'm like, did I actually read this? Like, I know... He was on the world tour, so I know I've heard him speak several times. Right. And then I definitely seen the book. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel like I had it. But it's, and maybe it's just because I've gone so far. I'm like, this seems so ridiculous and circular and just. I know. Did I read it? I'm pretty sure I did. But maybe I also just trauma blocked it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> After reading so many of these books, too, that you're just like, it starts to all blur. But the messaging is there, right? Like, we just have that messaging in our head, so it we won't recall specific books necessarily, but it's just right. everybody piggybacks off of each other. So Yeah. So how did you feel at the prospect of reading part of it again? So nervous. It's like, just so nervous, because I had seen this book in um, my... Can I just say at my parents' home, who I love, but we we are in different places of, you know, of where we, how we examine, you know, our uh, evangelical churches and the faith and things of that sort. And I just rolled my eyes and 
I walked by, I was like, ugh. So now to voluntarily go and, like, <laughs> read a chapter of it, I was like, it's only because I just respect so much of what you're doing and just love, you know, just having this sense of community and we're not crazy or alone. <laughs> that we is the not. only reason I'm getting back into it. Otherwise, no thanks. Well, again, I appreciate it. I oh, my gosh. I appreciate what you're doing. So Not an easy ask. So what chapter did you have? I had chapter one. And so it just, it began with really, um, his, his big, uh, like it said, you know, it's titled me offended. And so in it, like, I just found it kind of, um, I guess a little odd because it, it was like, he was saying so many people are so stunned as to the aspect of being offended. And I thought, that's just so ironic. That kind of just tells you there's a disconnect, right? Because in, in being human, there is conflict. And we are taught in the church constantly of like the battle of the heavenlies and the demonic, you know, the battle of like the person who has come against the church and, and that. So I, I was like, you know what? You touched on something because that is true. I remember being in the church and being like, oh, I'm, so, I'm, surprised that these people are having issues like as a kid right as a kid and as a teenager and I was just so in love with with Jesus and the Lord that I was like wow why would why would people be so angry and and mean to each other you know so in that way he's right but (laughs) it's ignoring that basic precept of there's conflict we're human (laughs) right how do you navigate that versus you're evil for having these emotions and conflict. Right. And, and like thinking back on it, yeah, it is surprising to me that churches have so many issues and like, you know, Christians are fighting with each other, Yeah. but I would never naturally come at it from the perspective of the problem is people being hurt, like in the sense that they're feeling hurt right. instead of, no, no, they're being hurt. Like, right. people are having issues because people are doing things or saying things. Right. Like, it's not about the feelings. Right. Like I'm never surprised. Oh, they're so wounded when they got punched. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Having that empathy and just not shaming people for feeling what they honestly should feel if something bad happens. Right. Um. Did, yeah, the other thing, like, I, I, you know, again, I don't recall the forthcoming chapters, so um, I I think, you know, when he classifies it, he said, you know, there are two classes of people, those who perceive that something bad has happened, and those to which something legitimately bad happened. Right. And I thought, my gosh, like... I think and I recalled, I was just like, I had a tough time at various points in the book because I'm like, again, it is, it's denigrating people, right? Who have been legitimately abused, you know, and especially let's call it like right within the church and the powers that be. And it's, and that 
that line and that, you know, classification of like those who perceive it versus those who actually are, unfortunately within the church, it's like a lot of people get pushed into the first category of you're just perceived. Your perception is that you were, but you're offended, my friend. (laughs) And it's like, never mind that you probably have gone through something prosecutable by law, but you know, um, it's your choice as to whether you hang on to the offense. Right. So I, um, it's, it's so th- just that section alone almost like gave me the chills of like, oh gosh, you know, here and we because are. He very much focuses on the people who are perceived to have been offended. Correct. Like that's what most of the book speaks to, but he does mm. in one chapter deal with people who have actually been offended mm. and it is, as awful as you would expect. You know what he's going to say. Yeah. You know, you would yeah. hope, oh, no, maybe he actually, you know, has some sympathy for that, but he doesn't. Right. So, yeah, so as reading through it, what are some things that stood out to you, good or bad? Um, you know, I, okay, I will say this. I, um, I like the fact of trying to... Um, or having the intent to have people mature through conflict. Okay. And, and I think that's a life skill that we all need, you know, from the time that we're little, you know, playground skirmishes, your, you know, your cousin, your sibling, your parent, you know, does something that you don't like. Um, I, that, that's real. You know, we all have to maturely handle situations outside of abuse. I'm not saying let's leave that aside, um, a separate category, but, um, I like that when that's the intent, um, with this in the first, first chapter, again, just going just through that, um, what I don't like is that it is just all looped into like this overgeneralization, right? Of just like feeling offense is um, is somehow a bad thing. Um, and so I don't know. I don't recall the later chapters of how many, if you know, what redeeming sentences or lines or intents were shared. As far as I guess. Um, you know, like recognizing the humanity and saying, like, you know, uh, just as you would not get upset with your child who uh, had some tears that somebody said something really hurtful to them on the playground, but you also teach them about their self-worth and how to handle that um, and protect them, you wouldn't just say, fuck up. Like, don't, you know, like this is, this is a choice that you have, you know, to, to, um, to forgive and to, uh, not allow offense and Satan, you know, uh, ploy to take root in your heart. You would never handle that situation. So I guess that's the thing that I'm like, my God, can you, can you handle a human heart that's in an adult form? with the same amount of just respect and compassion and understanding, um, especially because it's when you're dealing with a church organization, just 
abuse is a legitimate thing. Power plays, manipulation. Um, so it just honestly, just like reading through this, I was like, oh, it's almost just like bracing myself because I was okay. like, I don't know if anything more redeeming was said as it goes on. Um, I mean, I haven't reread the whole book yet. So Can't blame you. Maybe. Maybe it does happen a time. in the last chapter. But thus far, no. Um, but even that idea of how, like how you would treat your child, so much of Christianity is kind of like put into these categories. So we are forever children to, you know, the authorities over us. Or we're, yes. we're sheep to the shepherds like there always has to be just this really clear delineation of who you are and you know and how people are treating you right and how they're allowed to treat you right and and as somebody who was a christian child like this stuff it filters through so you can't believe this for adults and not have that affect how you're going to treat your children and especially when they're having feelings about things that you're doing, mm. you know. Yes, yes, great point. That they have feelings about. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, this book, I don't think it affected my young childhood mm-hmm. that much. But, you know, just been seeing how me and my mom's relationship is now. And just, like, just seeing these things. And even as a full-grown adult, mm-hmm. knowing that my mom does not see me, you know, as an adult, like I'm forever her child. <laughs> Same, yes. And she forever right. thinks, you know, she's the authority, authority figure. That's right. Yes. And has to 100%. regulate my emotions still. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's that's not what we're doing. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, there there are just so many aspects to this that um like when you're talking about the authority aspect of it, right? Um I, like, I remember in our, um, my childhood church, um, you know, around the same time where we were studying this book, there was a very ironic scenario where, you know, there was, I think we were actually studying it because the church was going through like the split scenario. <laughs> and then at the same time, um, you know, the pulpit, there were two different options. There was a clear, like plastic one, and there was heavy wooden one. And, um, and it was very large. And during this time, the pastor actually said, (laughs) you know, I like, uh, I like to have this lighter, uh, you know, clear pulpit one because I don't consider myself, you know, different from you all. But when this conflict was happening, (laughs) he said, I now see that I have to switch back to the other pulpit, <laughs> the large, heavy uh, pulpit, you know, showing that physical manifestation of his authority because of the conflict, you know, within the church. And I just thought, uh, you know, it just, it just, it didn't, um, you know, stick out as something highly problematic when I was young because it's, I, again, I've grown up with this mentality, right? You're inculcated with it. And now, like, realizing that we read this book around that same time <laughs> and that, you know, here it is about offense. But I was like, well, clearly he was offended. <laughs> He's like, 
needing to react in that way. And the whole church, because everyone was inculcated, these are like grown people with like, you know, their own jobs and children and all of that. Um, you know, most people like didn't, didn't question a thing and didn't question a thing. And it's just, that's the, I guess that's the most humbling part in all this is to read this now on the other side, recognizing that it's like humans as a whole, whether it's like a, you know, a cult leader, a political leader, um, whatever it may be. And in your church, people really do submit to this authority type of figure and we're conditioned (laughs) to do that. And it's like, so reading that book in light of that recognition, I think would be so helpful. You know, that's how horrible, atrocious things from like genocide has happened in this world, you know? And so, but it's, it's just sad because it's like, you can't have, or I haven't been able to have a, a lot of discussions with, you know, my own mother who grew who was right in that church at the same time, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, who was willing to, you know, acknowledge, yes, that humans can do that. And yes, that's how like evil things have happened, but doesn't see the parallel <laughs> of how that can happen within the church because somehow we're immune, but John Bivia right here says we're not. And people shouldn't be shocked. So why can we not discuss that? Yeah. John Bevere literally does not want you to feel any of your feelings. (laughs) Don't feel hurt. And also don't feel shocked about being hurt that you you can't feel. Just don't feel. Just Just don't feel. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Just, Just be here. We are robots with free will. So in the preface of the book, John Bevere starts out saying the book you hold is quite possibly the most important confrontation with truth you'll encounter in your lifetime and then towards the end of the preface he says this book is not a theory it is god's word made flesh made flesh god's word made flesh so it's jesus because that's who I'm told Jesus is. Okay. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of weight on this book. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well. Yeah. So, are there? Uh, okay, sorry. But are there people who you know um, who have given like testimonials to this book or have? Read them there are. There are. At every. Because this book was a, this version of it was a re-release, I think, for the 10th anniversary. So every chapter in this book oh. starts, it, it has a little With testimonial oh, mm-hmm. right before. Mm-hmm. So, wow. I mean. <laughs> Anyone else testify? They're like, this is, this is the word made flesh. I just, I want somebody. <laughs> to either acknowledge that or be like it's not quite that but (laughs) I mean that is it is God's word it it is heavy line that's heretical if you ask me I I don't church folk do they really read that line that's that's problematic because it's yeah Jesus was supposed to be that or maybe second to Jesus, 
No, I would say the Bible, but the Bible, the Bible is the word, right? So, mm-hmm. made flesh. So yeah, this, mm. Mm. <laughs> this is the fourth part of the Trinity, I guess. This is, <laughs> this is, this is some new revelation. <laughs> Glad for it. We know, it's now the quadrinity. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Uh, so I have, let me see, I was reading through it. I mean, that crazy statement just carries through. And yeah. I'm like, he just says so many things without, just not, not backing it up. Like, what did I have here? So attorneys will tell you the most vicious cases are in the divorce courts. And I'm like, okay, but what attorneys like are we are we talking about family law because i'm like right <laughs> that's all you would be doing so i guess okay yeah mm-hmm. and right after that and the american media constantly reports murders in the homes by desperate family members and i'm like wait wait who is murdering who? <laughs> I want to see the stats. In the back of the book, is there <laughs> anything linking? <laughs> no, because I don't see. Nope. It's not. There's nothing here that's that's even annotated with any facts. Okay. No, because there's, so no, no, there's no research. There's no, there's no research that went into this. It's just. It's just like if I went to coffee with my lawyer friend and I was like, excellent. I shall now be including that in my living word of a book. (laughs) God. (laughs) Tell me about your worst case. And you go away. Every lawyer I have spoken to. All the lawyers. <laughs> no names shall be named. <laughs> no then, studies shall be linked. <laughs> no bibliography. Just, just take my word for it. Yeah. Take my word more. <laughs> and if you dare question it. me, I will be offended. And I <laughs> don't want to go there. <laughs> and then you, you were lucky because in the first chapter here, mm-hmm. you're the only one who gets a definition John Bevere's working definition of offense. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is this is crazy. He starts out. He gives a little. I don't. I didn't. I didn't even look at the Bible to see what this context is or if this is even the whole verse. But he quotes Luke seventeen one and Jesus saying, you know, it is impossible that no offenses should come. And then he takes that. And he just runs with it. So he says, you know, the Greek word for offend comes from the word scandalon. And then he never mentions Luke 17, 1 again. He just forges ahead huh. into 2 Timothy 2.24. Mm-hmm. And then just verses, 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 verses. Right, but I'm like, right. you never really spend any time with that verse that you've taken this one word from. Right. And, and he goes he just... all the way to the end, too, to, like, revelation from it. The cure. The cure is found, yes, under revelation. The wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They had mistaken their financial strength for spiritual strength. Pride hid their true condition. Many are this way today. 
They do not see the true condition of their hearts, just as I was able to see the resentment I carried toward those ministers. Um, I was convinced, I had convinced myself I was not hurt. Um, <laughs> it's so, it's just, it's kind of ironic because he is saying, like, in this fact, like, he was trying to even... He's, he's just calling out the religious mechanism that we all have a problem with at this point, right? Who are, you know, starting to delve into these aspects of, of it is, is the fact that he was like, I had convinced myself I was not hurt. I was like, well, there you go. Exactly. But it's when you have these authoritarian figures telling you and deeming you what is uh, perceived offense, um, perceived hurts and abuses versus what is legitimate you shut down your own humanity. That's how you're able to look at people in these situations and think that you can just be the judge and um, dehumanize, you know, their experience in that. And so I don't know if he, like in this one chapter, he, again, it's like these little tidbits, like these scriptures doesn't go into much depth. Um, The fact that he had felt offense, but I don't know, like the context of what had happened there. (laughs) So it's just, it's like, um, these little bite size, uh, snippets of statements, but no real context. Um, so it's, it's honestly a bit confusing in that way, what it is he's trying to get across. And then it's just like to contrast that, right? Like, okay, having a fence, I guess this is like his point is, is like having, um, I guess, the dross of gold, um, you know, that black part <laughs> that needs to be removed. And he's saying, like, refined gold is soft and pliable, free from corrosion of other substances. And so, um, and then he's, like, going on to say pure heart is, like, pure gold, soft, tender, and pliable. Um, and so basically, like, if we have a fence direct quote, we are hindered in our ability to hear God's voice. Our accuracy to see is darkened. This is a perfect setting for deception. But does he also recognize that not acknowledging the humanity and the emotions and understanding and being self-aware and acknowledging humanity is also self-deception? I don't see any lines going into anything of depth to give us some context on his mentality. So it's hard for me to say that there is a whole lot redeemable and good based on this one chapter and just the way that it's like, doesn't give any context. Right. Is, you know, setting up like snippets of these different scriptures, but doesn't go into much context of it. Which... That'll lead right into the next question, but kind of especially if you were going to preface your book as, you know, truth that everybody needs to read, the word made flesh. The word made flesh. And I'm like, okay, you're saying this book is for everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then as an author, who, who are you writing this to? Right. Because, you know, to talk about uh, people are sh- shocked and offended, but... Uh, also talking about uh, in the last days, people will be lovers themselves, right. and and we expect that of of the world. But then also talking about <laughs> the gold and being refined and all that. So is this 
is this written to people who have grown up in the church or who because like when when did you have time to get corrupted by the world <laughs> right and if if you're talking to people who've come out of the world wouldn't you have that stuff isn't it supposed to come out you know and why why would you john bevere be worried about what i brought in from the world shouldn't i be offended by that stuff like shouldn't i have feelings about that like where is that supposed to go yes exactly exactly <laughs> if i came in with issues yeah where was where must yeah of course that's gonna come out yeah you know and why how am i supposed to know you know what to do with that right yeah so i that's exactly the thing that i'm wondering i was like does he start and I can't recall this, but I want to say no based on my reaction when I saw this book <laughs> and being like, no, thank you. Um, that it's, it's like, it's one thing if you're like, what's the real intent? Like, I'm like, okay, if it's teaching people to process where they're not going to be bound up, right? Forgiveness is beautiful. That is one of the things that I, I'm just so captured by, you know, the, the message of Jesus and, um, how he had regarded his, you know, quote unquote enemies. Um, of course, forgiveness is, is vital, but I mean, not going into the context of like, this book is to enable you to, you know, effectively heal, acknowledge, acknowledge the emotions that I can tell you I didn't acknowledge, which he clearly says in there. Um, and then, uh, to know, you know, when, when you're hanging on to those emotions and haven't processed them enough or well enough in the light of even God's, you know, promises to, strengthen you and help you, you know, and heal you and make you whole and that he will handle your, you know, your situations as well. Um, here's how you do that. Here's how my experience. I don't see that in this book. You know, it was just, to me, it was just so, um, from what I recall, like reading it and just the PTSD of just seeing like chapter one again, it just reminds me, I'm like, it's so prescriptive. But I don't know for what. It just feels like a, a, a tool to just say, just get over it to everybody, you know? And it's a tool, this authoritarian type tool. Um, I just, I honestly don't understand. Considering that the preface is that it, it's just such an incredibly important book. <laughs> the most important book. The most important, yes, right? Direct quote from that. <laughs> That's... It's, I'm trying to find this other... There's, I don't know if it's in his intro or the preface, but where he talked about, yeah, here it is. In churches across America and in other nations where I preach this message, over 50% of the people have responded to the altar call. Although this is a high response, it still is not everyone. Pride holds some people back from responding. Oh, man. Including maybe somebody who expects more than 50% of the crowd to show up at an altar call that he calls. Could there be pride in that? I don't know. Okay, Could there be, maybe? Sound a little hmm. offended, JB. <laughs> no, exactly. And as, as a writer, I wish I had this kind of... Bravado? I don't know. Just... <laughs> Everybody, you need this book. 
<laughs> and I know exactly <laughs> what it should elicit in you. And if it doesn't, that's on you. That's <laughs> amazing to be as an author and be like, I am giving you the most important book you will ever read. Second only, maybe, to the Bible. And only because I need you to know where these scriptures are coming from. That's so, like, that's amazing that you would put that in print. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Just so it's horrible, but it's amazing all at the same time. And then as as a reader, because I had, like, read, I'm like, oh, I, I started this club, and I had, I put it on myself to read these books, <laughs> and I'm dreading it. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. love reading. Mm-hmm. And then I'm trying to think, is there any, any book in the secular world that I have this kind of reaction to? Like, there are books right. I don't like. Right. And I wouldn't read again. Right. But there's nothing I can think of that I'm just like, oh, just like at the thought of it existing and me yeah. having to engage with it. Right. And I'm like, that can't, that can't be normal. Right. Like, and that's so many of us have these kind of feelings about Christian books. Right. Correct. Yeah. And these are, I mean, these are those of us that aren't. I mean, at least for myself and from what I know of your background, aren't just like uh, Sunday Christians or like Easter Christmas Christians. Like we were in there, man. Like I like, I was in, it. <laughs> I was in church in like it. four. Yes, exactly. Four days a week, like with, you know, leadership and like at least one or two, you know, involved in like couple others morning and evening services on Sundays as well um and it's it's something where it's like for those of us and now it's like for me it's like decades I'm now a middle-aged woman and I'm looking back and and there's been a lot of um you know of course like I have so many friendships and a community and um a, a belief system and experiences and absolutely like truths, a beautiful truths, um, that I hold dear, you know, that, that, that blossomed within that community and within that environment. So when I look back and I am saying to myself and speaking to others of saying, you know, this was wrong, this was abusive, this is the mechanism that enabled, you know, now like mounting cases that we just, are now hearing more of and seeing more of, but we're always there of abuse, you know, um, it was always there. And so I now understanding the mechanism and I, I've worked in settings where, you know, uh, from like government to politics and you understand there is like a basic mentality and a mechanism in which these things are, um, deployed and the church does it in spades, you know, but somehow thinks it's separate and it's even more dangerous because they say it's mandated by God. So then, you know, for those of us who are feeling and seeing things that make us wary or uncomfortable or alarmed, 
we're told, you know, in these books, like it's a procedure, <laughs> you know, it's part of the mechanism saying like, shut that down within yourself. Don't think, don't feel. Um, because then it's like, you're offending God. The only one who has a right to be offended almost is God. And I mean, who in a, a pure heart who loves God and who has appreciated all the good things that they've experienced through their faith community um, and God um, would want that. No one, you know? So it's just, it's even, it's even more troubling, you know, when we don't talk about these things and don't bring it out into the light. Right. So, okay, we know John Bevere wrote this book for everybody in the world. That's, <laughs> that's what he has told us. But who, who is this book actually for? Who did he write this for? Mm. I mean, to me, it's like he's clearly speaking to people within the church, right? Especially in chapter one, because he's he's talking about people within the church being shocked as to uh, when matters of offense come up. So it's like you're already dealing with like a community that, uh, like you know the you know the quote unquote rules. You know you know what I mean, like. It's not super fresh to you. It's just reinforcing a certain mentality. And so who does this book actually help? Well, it's the most important book that those within the church are going to read, apparently. So he would say the church. I would say (laughs) probably the leadership that wants to reinforce (laughs) that if if you're upset about something... I know that's the context of when it was introduced in my church as well. You know, now looking back, like, it's funny because I hadn't even thought of that until like I, this came up and I was like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot that. Again, in any other context, you would look at that and be like, oh, that's kind of manipulative. here it's prescriptive right it's prescriptive it's like i have the solution that's going to help me i mean well you in the church but me as well really all of us it's like oh such a mess so i i mean i knew what my visceral feelings about the book were but i I don't want to i want to try to approach these things fairly Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. You know, with the possibility that maybe I will read it with different eyes and see some good things or see, you know, what they're yeah. trying to be. So I came at it from, you know, that verse, everything, everything is permissible, mm-hmm. not everything is beneficial. Right. So I'm like, okay, he's absolutely allowed to write this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, is it is it beneficial or not? So... On a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being beneficial to everyone, 5 coming in at neutral, it's just, it's permissible, it's here, it's not doing anything, and 1 being harmful to everyone, where would you, where would you place this book? I would say it's at a solid 2. 2.5 maybe um because i'm i'm just giving some grace to the fact that you know again that i'm i'm positive that there is good intent in in you know part of this here and that um you know then 
forthcoming chapters that there are, you know, maybe a, a bit more um, helpful, like tangibly helpful things that come forth and more context, I'm hoping. Um, but right now, you know, from what I recall, even from like when I initially read it and just, you know, focusing on my one chapter, it just, it's, it's very, uh, it's prescriptive. It's like, like the same thing as like the pro, um, you know, the beginning of the book, like the prologue where he's like, this is the most important book. This is, it's going to change everything. And, but doesn't really back it up. And that's the same thing that I'm finding in chapter one. There's just not a lot of context and there's not from his own offense and his situation. It's just like very quick, like lines, like I was offended. I didn't admit it. I had a lot of pride, but I don't know what that looked like. What are you talking about? Can you just tell me what you're talking about? <laughs> and so here are, and so if he continues to do that throughout this book, then people are, people are going to handle it the way that I think I handled a lot of things um, and was conditioned within the church and so many people I know, which is like any negative feeling towards, especially an authority, um, uh, mandated rule or like statement or anything like that, or questioning too much is like anti-God, anti-harmony, anti, you know, all of these things. And so there's, there's such a degree of like constantly, of course, like fueling that mechanism of like, you're, you're, you're so sinful, you're so broken, you're so this, you're so that. And I was that person who, because of that, would, would go up for, like, the altar call and salvation recalls, like, how many times? Like, countless being like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm saved, I think. Like, Lord, I love you. Experience all these things. But, like, I better just get reset. I better make real sure. Because, like, why am I struggling with, you know, this, like, like, official abuse? I mean, I'm talking, I've been through scenarios where it's, like, people would be in jail. <laughs> but... Um, you know, everything that I was told again, without context was to, you know, to harbor those feelings was, was wrong, was evil. Um, and so you just, you, you start to shut down and you stop questioning things, you know, at a certain point because you're told it's just faith. So I think that's very destructive. So I just, because of that, I would go with the 2.5. Are you me? Because... Going up for the altar calls. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, good job on being in the good 50% because you would have. I know. A++ for us. <laughs> like, not us, John. Don't be offended at us. We would be at that altar call. We Each would... day of your meetings. <laughs> every night. Every night. <laughs> Why am I still so offended? What is wrong with me? Take it away, God, please. Oh, gosh. So who who would you recommend this book to? No one. <laughs> no one. I would not. I would not. You know what I would recommend is is um there's a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um I would recommend books from, you know, from you know, from like Dr. Caroline Leaf and like where you can understand the brain. You can understand what's happening to you physiologically. You can um, know that you are not sinful and broken in your, you know, what I would say is God-given design to be human. I still believe in God. And um, 
I think that's so much more beneficial because then, then you'll understand like what parts of this is, is unhealthy, is truly like not good, not right. Maybe even, you know? Um, but this, this is just, it's no context, blanket statements, putting this book up on a pedestal. It's like, and then shaming people, you know, that if it's like, but then trying to not shame people by saying only 50% of the people came up, but really there should have been everybody, everybody should come up. It's like, well, yes, then, then it's a human condition thing. Can we talk about conflict resolution? Can we talk about, you know, emotions? Can we talk about psychology and that. Um, but no, we, we can't, we're just going to bring in Satan and let you know that it's Satan is baiting you. Baiting you feel you. these feels. <laughs> just eating it up, which is like a whole other conversation. Cause I'm like, I've been trying to just work out the title in my head. And I'm like, right. Bait, bait is something you, you want. Like, <laughs> that's true. That's so true. Like, how are you because whatever you're doing to offend me mm-hmm. probably didn't want that either <laughs> so I'm like this this is wild yeah yeah <laughs> the bait of it's a it's a puzzle so yes. many extremisms right from like the title itself to like going ahead and telling people as the author you are giving them the most important book that they will ever hold and read. I mean, like, <laughs> have your wife write that or something, but like for you to be. Exactly. Like, it's, it's like, did any of the people who just like wrote him, you know, referrals in this say like, yeah, this is the most important book that I've ever read. I will. And I'd say no, because okay. he for sure would have quoted that. Right. Isn't there Proverbs like it that you should, you know, let another praise you? He said, no, we're going to erase that verse. Yeah. We're add this, this we, I, I guess we won't find that in there. Right. If we find it, it won't be in any context. <laughs> I mean, and then there's a whole whole other issue of, like, I think he mainly uses, like, the King James version. But sure. I'm like, as soon as you're using the King James, mm-hmm. I'm out. Because, like, what? <laughs> Why? That's a choice you're making. And I don't like it. Well, let's not get into who King James was either, huh? That's... Oh my yes. goodness, the conversations around that and King James's sexuality and whatnot. <laughs> no one wants to talk about that. Okay. That's offensive. That's offensive. But John Bevere, he wrote the world's most important book about the bait of Satan, which okay. <laughs> but he got he got to choose, he got to decide what that was. And for him, it was offense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you could choose one issue, this is the bait of Satan, and every church needs to hear this. What would that issue be? Oh my goodness. I think power, power grab, and what that really looks like, the mechanism behind it, you know? Yeah. And why? Like, why people do that? And I'm going to predict that JB would be getting more invitations to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hands down. Hands down. Yeah, my book, my, yeah, my, my, my wouldn't have as many fans. But it already makes so much more sense. The bait of Satan. The bait. 
power? Yes. Mm -hmm. I want that. Feelings and offense, though. That's the true. That's that's how Satan gets you. <laughs> and feels. So as 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 a good thought to hold and like a palate cleanser, I ask you guys to you know think of something that you do enjoy, something that you would recommend. So finishing up, because please nobody go read the Bait of Satan. Please now, <laughs> give us give us something else to read, watch, listen to. What do you recommend? Oh my goodness. I tell you what, like I, um, I love reading a ton, but through the pandemic, I have gotten back into, um, almost not quite daily, but aiming to, um, daily times in like in nature, just being in nature, um, feeling the breeze, looking at the trees, feeling the sunshine, experiencing, that gratitude to be alive, you know, and connecting with God without all of these, I guess, messages of how I should do it, right? This much time reading this book, like praying X amount of time, you know, and I just realize how truly beautiful this, um, this life is as, as much as, you know, there are of course, is just so much that we hurt and we ache over and we frankly hate, you know, um, there's so much beauty and that helps me feel actually good in myself, connected to God, um, has, gives me that refuel to be more patient as well. Um, yeah, just even a quick little walk, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, even if that's all you've got, you know, just highly recommend that. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. I like, there's just, I think just an honest brilliance in the way that you, um, question, you know, and you, I like the Socratic kind of methodology. You're just like, you question it, you know, and that is, that's good. I think that's so important because that gives people the freedom to that because the questions are there. Questions are there. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate like what you've put out there. Thank you. Thank you. And in closing, it is my prayer that as you read this book, God's word will enlighten the eyes of your understanding that you will see your true condition and become free from any offense you are harboring. Don't let pride keep you from seeing and repenting. So the prayer at the end of this chapter is that God's word will enlighten the eyes of your understanding. And I guess we better pray that because it is for damn sure that John Bevere is not going to do it. I don't know what you wrote on your list of things you expected from this chapter, but at the top of my list was definitions. JB has made a huge claim. He has named offense as the bait of Satan, as a trap that Satan will use to keep people out of God's will and possibly out of heaven. And then he never defines offense. He uses the word a lot interchangeably with hurt in conjunction with pride and as evidence of sin, but he never defines it. And so looking at this book from the outside, it is blatant to me that it is a tool to make gaslit people gaslight themselves. Because imagine there were people who lived in a black and white world, where black and white were the only colors they knew the names for. And then somebody comes in and tells them that to have anything that is the color red is sin. But then never clarifies what red is. Those people would be out in the world nervous about anything that isn't black or white. 
And what John Bevere has done with this book is set the standard that not being offended is the only safe way to be. And the only way to be sure that you're not offended is to feel nothing. Not hurt, not angry, whether justified or not, you're just better off not feeling it. He even says, Just because you were mistreated, you do not have permission to hold on to an offense. Two wrongs do not make a right. So if you mistreat me and I am offended, I am just as wrong as you were. And that is a sick, sick ideology that leaves the door wide open for abuse. It's dangerous. Dangerous ideology that he has labeled as theology based on half of one verse that he references right at the beginning just to pull his little Greek word from it and then never again. He just cherry picks as he goes on his merry way. I did not want to fact check his scripture references, so I didn't. Because I didn't want to, like I said. But also, I shouldn't have had to. John Bevere decided to write this book. He decided to put forth this wild theology, so I think it was his responsibility to prove it. But he didn't. Because he couldn't. I'm going to have some smarter, actual biblical scholars come on and debunk this shit theology. But anyone who legitimately thinks Jesus would be worried about people being offended would label offense as a sin and would have warnings not for the people causing offense, but for the ones being offended. Anyone who believes that has to have a twisted view of Jesus. That is a mean theology, wielded by a mean God who loves in mean ways. So my top three issues with this chapter are one, the lack of definition, two, the piss poor theology built on scriptural cherry picking, and three, John Bevere's vagueness. He says things like, Once I was severely hurt by a couple of ministers. And there was a time in my life when I went through intense trials such as I've ever faced before. And that's pretty much all you get. No details, just these vague assertions that JB has had a hard time. But let's be real, dude is a white man. A Christian white man at the top of white Christendom. There are different types of hard, different types of offense and call me cynical, but I don't think it's an accident that from his perspective, it's much more important that people who are being offended be taught to question their attitudes than to question the people, places, and systems causing their offense. So that's chapter one. Thank you for joining me for this first episode of Bad Words, this first edition of the Bad Book Club with no thanks to a certain author. I certainly hope you had a better time listening to this than I did reading it. I, 12 out of 10, do not recommend this book, so hit the show notes to check out the links to some better things. And if you want to talk back, feel free to hit the comment section on Instagram. And that's it for now. I am Janice Legata, and this has been an episode of Bad Words. But here are some good ones. From The Politics of Jesus by Obery M. Hendricks, Jr. The primary purpose of biblical prophecy is to affect social and political change in a society. Prophets never uncritically support the status quo. Rather, their role is to challenge it. In our time, when many seem to think that Christianity goes hand in hand with right-wing visions of the world, it is important to remember that there has never been a conservative prophet. Prophets have never been called to conserve social orders that have stratified inequities of power and privilege and wealth. Prophets have always been called to change them so all can have access to the fullest fruits of life. In fact, it was the conservative forces, those who wanted to keep things as they were, that in every instance were the most bitter opponents of the prophets and their missions for justice.